We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get to the next question here from John A1. Based on what we've seen so far, which running back between Price and Love have the most 10-yard rushes at season's end? I'm going to probably go with Jadarian Price by a little bit. I think Jadarian's going to get a lot better. I think they're both going to get a lot better. And I think they're both going to be dynamic. And and I think by middle of the season to end of the season, they're going to be two and three in the running back depth chart. We already started to see it a little bit last week. And, and I, I think they're both going to be there. I, I do. I, I think I could see love having more overall 10 plus yard gains. If you throw in pass game, even though right now, Jeremiah's ahead there, but I think that's an area where Notre Dame has yet to tap into Jeremiah loves ability that I think we will see them start to do is start to use him more in the pass game. Cause right now it's just been running and, and I'm actually good with that because I, my thing is get him, get him comfortable, get his feet wet, let him go out there, carry the football and then as he shows himself capable of handling that pressure and handling the offense and playing the game and being physical and making plays, then you expand his role a little bit. And I think they're going to do that with both of those kids. I just think Jadarian's role is going to be expanded more in the run game because he's already being used in the pass game. And then Jeremiah's role is going to get expanded a little bit more in the pass game. It's how I see that one playing out. Got one from uh, Brandon K. If Bear commits this weekend, do you take the commitment? How does Deuce coming next week affect it? That's a good question. Uh, you know, Brandon, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with the communication that Deuce and Notre Dame have with each other this week. And because here's what it comes down to. And I'm going to have an article about this this afternoon um, after the show's over. I'll put it out. But here, here's what this comes down to for me, Brandon. You've got two very talented quarterbacks, two raw but very talented quarterbacks that that both like you and you like both of them, you're in a situation where you're looking back at last year and, and you made the decision to put all your eggs in the Dante Moore basket and it didn't pan out. You ended up, you ended up okay. Cause you, you had a pretty darn okay with getting Kenny Minchie, but then you passed on Jackson Arnold, which I'm fine with you pass on Chris Vizina. That one stung a little bit more. You pass on some other quarterbacks in order to be able to get, get Dante it didn't work out and then you had to you, you, really Notre Dame got lucky last year that it was such a deep class because this year in in 2024 if you would have let's just say hypothetically put all your eggs in the CJ car basket and then CJ picks somewhere else there's not a lot of other quarterbacks that they would have been able to go to there's no Kenny Minch who's like 10th in the class at quarterback the 10th quarterback in this year's class isn't as good as the 10th quarterback in last year's class in my opinion so I don't know that Notre Dame wants to go down that road again. And and they like Bear a lot. They like Deuce a lot. And so the conversations with both of them are going to be, hey, guys, listen, we love both of you. Uh, Deuce knows exactly where he stands with Notre Dame. And Bear knows where he stands with Notre Dame. And regardless of who may be one or two in their eyes, they're both in that – they're both outstanding. We're going to take either one of them. And – Bear has said to us that he's not in any hurry to commit. That could change this weekend. Deuce has, has previously said he wanted to commit early. Now he's changed his tune and he wants to let the process drag out a little bit 
And Notre Dame is saying, hey, man, you, you, you do you, but just so you know, we're not going to wait around for you. We need a quarterback. We can't wait, let you go play the game, go visit all these SEC schools, and then all of a sudden you're, you're going, you're staying down south. And my stance on Deuce Knight has always been, I think he loves Notre Dame. I do. I know his mom loves Notre Dame. But I've always been sort of a skeptical of whether or not he's actually going to leave the South. And the longer he he pushes back, he goes from wanting to commit this summer, and it would have been in Notre Dame, to now he wants to go visit this school and that school and the other school. He has every right in the world to want to do that. This is his life. This is his decision. But Notre Dame also has to be willing to say, we've got another really good quarterback wanting to come. And so we can't, we need to know, do you really want to be here or not? And if the answer is yes, but I want to go visit these other schools and wait till after the season, then Notre Dame can say, hey, we understand that, we respect that, but we got to move on here if this kid wants to come. And then the roles could be reversed, right? Like they may, they like Bear a lot and they may say, think he may commit this weekend, but if he decides not to commit this weekend and he wants to let his process play out, the answer is going to be, hey, we like you, but you know, if Deuce is ready to make his decision, then we're going to take his decision as well. So uh, to me, it's a win-win for Notre Dame. It really is. And, and I've made my opinion clear. I think Deuce is the higher ceiling guy, Bears the higher floor guy. They both have pretty good ceilings. They're different type of players in some ways. There's a lot of similarities in others. They're both, you know, good athletes. Deuce is the more dynamic runner than, than Bear is. Bear's uh, a little bit more of an accurate passer. Deuce has the stronger arm. Uh, there's a lot to like about both of them. And to me, if I'm in Notre Dame's shoes and Bear Bachmeyer decides he wants to commit this weekend, I take it. And if, and, but I'd let Deuce know, hey, listen, Bear's coming this weekend. And if he wants to commit, we're going to take it unless you tell us you want to be here. And that's, that's how I would play it. This is my opinion. That's how I would play it. And if Deuce was like, nah, I'm not ready to do that, and Bear wants to make his decision, then I'd take his commitment and call it a day. That's that's what I would do. That's kind of how I would take it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're stressed about buying tickets or doing some last-minute ticket hunting to college football games, concerts, comedy shows, your favorite activities, Game Time is the place for you. They take the stress out of buying tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. 
That's GameTime.co. Irish Blooded with a question here, a college football question. Who is on more of an upset alert, LSU at Mississippi State or Tennessee at Florida? I think both of them. So we made predictions today at irishbreakdown.com, and we do uh, we pick like four to five games a week that in some way have something to do with Notre Dame, whether it's directly a Notre Dame opponent or indirectly, like I kind of talked about today, which is these conferences tend to beat up, beating up each other a little bit. And so we go through and we all make predictions. And I'm going to be honest, I predicted Mississippi State to beat LSU, and I also predicted Florida to beat Tennessee. I have not been impressed with Tennessee so far. They've run the football really well against two teams that aren't very good at stopping the run, in my opinion. They are, when you look at uh, Florida, Florida's actually been pretty good stopping the run so far this year uh, in, in their two games. If I had more faith in Graham Mertz, I'd feel a lot more confident in that decision, to be honest with you. I, I, I really don't have a lot of faith in Graham Mertz, but like you look at at ten, you know Virginia, for example. So you say, "Wait a minute, Tennessee's done a pretty good job stopping the run, right?" And say, "Okay, well they held they held Tennessee to 95 yards, or they held Virginia to 95 yards on 40 carries." Okay, well that's that's nice, but Virginia went for 18 yards on 35 carries against James Madison. So Virginia's just not very good running the football, and and so to me, I'm just I just haven't been overly impressed with what I've seen from Tennessee. They don't really stretch the ball down the field, which they did in the past. Part of that's Joe Milton. Part of that's they don't have the receivers they had last year. And I just, I'm just not overly impressed with the, what they've done so far. I just haven't been impressed with them. You look at Austin P. they beat last weekend 30-13. to 13. Uh, That was a game where Tennessee scored in the fourth quarter to make it to 30, just to get it to 30. It was a 23-13 to 13 game uh, with just over eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Austin P is a team that the week before lost to Southern Illinois 49 to 21. So they're just, they're not very good. Austin P against uh, Tennessee rushed for, let me pull up the numbers, rushed for 79 yards on 34 carries. Looks great, right? Like, wow, man, Tennessee really stopping teams. But Austin P against Southern Illinois had 39 rushing yards on 23 carries. So both of those games where they held opponents down low, if you look at what those opponents did and against other teams, they didn't. They were significantly worse against other teams, James Madison and Southern Illinois, than they were against Tennessee. And and so I just haven't been overly impressed by Tennessee, to be honest with you, uh, this season. Now they're going to be a lot more up for this game. With all due respect, it's harder to get up for Austin P than it is for Florida. This is a place that these players and the team don't have any history of winning in. Uh, Florida. I thought bounced back well last week. Now, again, it was against McNeese State, so you don't get too carried away with it. But I thought they did what they were supposed to do last week and, and, and handled their business against an inferior opponent where Tennessee did not, in my view. So neither neither of them played a very good opponent. But I thought that Florida did what they needed to do and, and was the more impressive team in that game. So I like Florida in this game. I'm less confident in the in, in the Mississippi State LSU upset prediction. Uh, my what the reason it comes down to for me is LSU did not play well against Mississippi State for three quarters last year. Did a nice job pulling away uh, in the in the fourth quarter, scored 21 unanswered points to win 31-16 in that game last year. But LSU to me against Florida State really struggled to run the football. They came out against Grambling. Logan Diggs had over 100 yards. They looked good, but it was Grambling. They ran for 302 yards against Grambling. I I, I think they're going to have a tougher time running the football on Mississippi State. I really liked Mississippi State's win over Arizona last week. I thought that was a really quality win. That's going to get them prepared for a game like this, in my opinion, uh, in offense like LSU's. Arizona's a pretty good offense. It's not as good as LSU's, but it's pretty good. And they handled their business. I'm not like I always say this, I'm not betting a mortgage. I'm not even betting a ham sandwich on Mississippi state beating LSU. I predicted it, but that's as far as I go because I like the matchups, but I'm not going to be surprised at all. If LSU wins that game and bounces back. Well, I'm more confident in Florida beating Tennessee, but even there it's, it's a, it's a coin toss. I mean, I think I have both games. One I've Mississippi state winning by a point. I have Florida winning by four. 
a lot of that has to do with it being in Florida. If it was in if it was in, in uh, Knoxville, I'd pick Tennessee to win, and I'd pick Tennessee to win in Knoxville by more than four, if that tells you anything. So I think they're both going to be good games. Uh, Penn State Illinois is another game I got my eye on. Illinois has not looked good in the first two games. How are they going to be? Their defense has not been nearly as good as I thought it was going to be, but I do think their offense has been a little better than I thought. This is going to be the first real offensive test of the year for Penn State. I don't think West Virginia was much of an offensive test. Um, I think that uh, this is, to me, a, a little better offense just because they've got better talent at Illinois. But they've got to figure out a way to be a little bit more creative offensively and allow their talent to, to carry the day. I was shocked at how bad they got whooped by Kansas last week. I wasn't shocked that Kansas won. I was shocked that Kansas whooped Illinois. That's what surprised me. Do they bounce back against Penn State? I don't think so. But it's an interesting one to keep an eye on for sure. Brandon K also says, if the Notre Dame offense and defense switch sides of the ball, who would be the best player at each position? Oh, gosh. Oh. Josh Burnham, I'd put it quarterback probably. Uh, he'd be the best. I mean, I don't really know, Brandon. I that that would take That's more of a message board question. I say this all the time. Things like that, that, that these things, that this is – there's no preparation that goes into that. There's no thought. I'm not thinking about that when I'm breaking down games. That's a much better message board question. It's a fun question, especially with as many guys as Notre Dame is kind of recruited to play on both sides of the ball, you know, and, and uh, like Jeremiah Love was some schools recruited as a DB. So if we're talking about switching sides, you're you know, pretty good, pretty good DB. But to sit there and think about that, I don't know if that's something that I would necessarily be able to answer just off the top of my head. And then I don't have a, a guy in the show with me where I could kind of say, hey, uh, you know, you talk while I think about my answer. And I, I you know, I, I, um, I uh, you know, sometimes you can you can kind of do that. Hey, Ryan, you go first. Or Vince, you go first and let me think of my answer. I can't obviously do that today. So I don't um, I, I'd have to think more about that one. I have to think more about that one. Just your ordinary Joe. Any thoughts as to why Steve Angeli did not throw a pass last week? It reminded me of the cleanup garbage times of yesteryear. So, I mean, Joe, your quarter, your backup quarterback's not going to throw every single time he's in the game. When when Steve Angeli got into the game last week, it was 45-24. There wasn't a lot of time left. Let me let me find let me find that real quick and just give you a specific of what the time was when that game when that uh when when that happened so just give me some here let's go play by play so they they took over the ball with 203 left and ran three plays and the game was over nc state did no i'm sorry the, um they took over uh at yeah 203 and nc state had no timeouts and they were able to so one timeout they were able to just basically run the clock out three plays and run the clock out. I don't know that there was a pass was needed to, to be thrown. You're up by 21. There's only two minutes left. You're just trying to get your guys a couple reps and get them on the field, make sure there's no injuries. And you're just trying to get out of the game. I, where, where I've had issues in the past, Joe, is when they would put the, the, the backups in with like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes left. You got a chance for a couple drives and you just run it out. They ran three plays, right? three plays. I mean, I wouldn't have even had a problem if they would have put the starting offense back in and run those three plays. I would have not complained about that at all. So I actually liked the fact they got them on the field and, and called three running plays, but there was, there was no need to to throw the ball in that particular situation. So I, I didn't have a whole lot of a problem with it to be completely honest with you. Okay. Let's get to ND estimate trucking in your opinion, with the way the D line is being forced to play in Golden's scheme, how, does that affect recruiting moving forward? I'm, I'm sure no top D line wants to eat blocks all game and not get sacks. Guys, we're three games in. Can we, can we just see how the season plays out first before we start? Like Notre Dame's three and zero. They are giving up ten points a game. They are have won every game by minimum twenty one points. Their things are, go, are going okay. Are there areas they got to get better at? Yes, there's areas they got to get better at. But if you're a defensive lineman. And you're sitting there saying, you know, look, Riley Mills is getting some some production. He's getting some – he's making some plays. Howard Cross is having a great start to the season. And you're going to say that based off what we've seen in three games by a team that's dominated, by a team whose, whose starters haven't even played 
barely half a game in two of those games, hey, this is pumped the brakes a little bit, right? Let's see kind of what happens in the next few weeks. Let's see if they can continue to get better. Kids aren't going to look at that and be like, gee, I know that they're dominating and I know that they're only giving up 10 points a game. And I know that like, I think they've had like one opponent that's been over 150 yards of offense so far. And I know they just went on the road and blew out a, t- you know, a team that's, that's the bowl team last year. And I know they're only giving up 223 yards per game. And I know they're only giving up 3.5 yards per play. And I know that they're you know, only giving up 99 rushing yards per game. But after three games, they've only got four sacks. F Notre Dame, I don't go play there. Like, come on, man. Let's just let it play out a little bit. If the same thing is happening in two or three weeks, then 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 we'll obviously have a lot more to talk about, right? And and so let's just let it play out a little bit. Christopher Crosby. Brian, you are the head coach at Notre Dame, and Ryan is your offensive coordinator. Let's say Bear comes to visit, falls in love, and wants to commit. What's the conversation between you two, given what happened with Dante Moore? I, I kind of talked about this one earlier, Chris. I would, um, first of all, why I'd be a fool to have Ryan as my offensive coordinator because Ryan's a defensive guy. He'd be my defensive coordinator. Uh, but uh, whoever my Vince would be my OC in this particular scenario, and the, the circumstance would be like this. The thing is, Christopher, I'll say this, and this is why I want to bring your question up. I addressed kind of what I would say earlier. The thing about it, though, is this conversation needs to happen beforehand. You have to have you you can't come into a visit like this unprepared for what the conversation is going to be or be prepared for whether or not the kid wants to make a decision. And you need to know if you get on campus and a kid decides he wants to commit and you and him haven't had a conversation about whether or not you'd take that, you're at fault. That's on you. And so either you take it or you have to tell the kid, hey, we're not taking it right now. And then now you're in a big you're in a pinch because you've told this kid no, which is going to make it harder to get him down the road. And you're not sure if you're going to get the other kid. And, and so when I, when I look at it, it to me is you need to know before bear Bachmeyer gets on campus, if you're willing to take his commitment or not. And so that conversation has already happened. And the conversation is, do we believe that Deuce Knight is a guy that's capable of winning, taking us to a championship? If the answer is yes, then he's in that group of he, you take his commitment when he wants to come. But then you got to look at other quarterbacks on the board and say, do we think this kid is, do we think George McIntyre is capable of taking us to a championship? Yes. Do we think Bryce Underwood is capable of this? Yes. And you go down the list of guys. Do you think Bear Bachmeyer is capable of, of being that type of quarterback? And if your answer is yes, then you put him into this group of guys that if they want to commit, we take them. That's it. The difference last year with Dante is twofold. Number one, Dante was the best quarterback in the country, in my opinion. It, it, it's Deuce has tons of talent, but we're but Deuce isn't Bryce Underwood, right? Like the conversation would be a little different if if Bryce Underwood was that guy that loves Notre Dame, wants to be at Notre Dame, but he just wants to take the process out. Then you might say, hey, let's just slow down everybody else just for another month or so and see how things pan out. But that's not the case here. Deuce is a very good quarterback. Bear is a very good quarterback. They're both in that category of guys that this coaching staff believes this kid is capable, if we develop him properly, of leading us to a championship. And if you get Kenny Minchie, CJ Carr, and either one of those two guys in back-to-back-to-back years, you have completely restocked the quarterback position. And so there isn't a wait on this guy for that guy in this conversation. They're, They're too close. Do you think Deuce Knight's here and Bears here or Bears here and Deuce is here? That's irrelevant. You think they're both here. And so that conversation has already been had. So by the time Bears on campus, you already know and Bear knows whether he can or can't commit during that visit. Because if you don't want to take his commitment, you want to say, listen, Bear, here's the deal. We got Deuce Knight coming in next weekend. And, you know, we're just we're not taking a commitment from either one of you guys right now. We just want to get you guys on campus. We want you to see what we got. We want to do this. We want to do that. Don't worry about, you know, make any decisions. We want you to go home and think about things and stuff like that. You have those conversations with those quarterbacks. And then if they're in, in a situation where, okay, you, 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 the guy you want more, is now willing to commit next weekend. Then you take them. You're good to go. But you have that conversation to let the process play out a little bit. If you don't have that conversation, it's because 
we'll take whoever wants to come. And if we're going to treat Bear like he's our dude, and if he likes it and and wants to be here, then okay, so let's roll, let's roll, and that's that's where you are to me. So um, that's that's what I like, and that's how I would handle it. And I think we'll see something similar from Notre Dame in this conversation. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. PQ, what to do? Do you think there is a bigger advantage in this offense going vanilla this week and not showing much for Jim Knowles or showing a bunch of different looks that he has to prepare for? Uh, guys, we're going to have four games of film. Uh, Jim Knowles is going to have four games of film. If you decide to go vanilla against Central Michigan, that doesn't help you hide stuff from Jim Knowles. It doesn't. You're not running the same exact plays against Central Michigan that you're going to run against Ohio State, even if you open up the entire playbook because what they do defensively is different from what Ohio State does defensively. I'm a big believer. I've always been a big believer. Do your stuff. Run your offense. If you if you know don't hold back go routes for four games because you don't want Ohio State to know them because now you have no work at them. So if they're not doing something, it's because that's just not where they are. It's not where they that's not where the conversation uh, or what not where the the game plan or the play calling and the situations have called for uh in in those it, those those situations and so to me um it, it comes down to do your stuff to beat central michigan as convincingly as possible i'm a believer in in hey you, we're going to show you everything we got and you prepare for it i'm not someone like i i'll have some fun with certain things in a game like this like i you know, like a reverse pass. I mean, you're just having some fun with your players in a game like this. But by often than not, more often than not, I'm just in one of those. Go do your stuff. Go play your game. Go do what you need to do to hang 60 on Central Michigan. And I don't care what Ohio State does because it comes down to this. At the end of it, PQ, it goes back to what we've always said that it needs to be for Notre Dame. You shouldn't be worried about Ohio State. You shouldn't be worried about USC. You shouldn't be worried about Georgia. You should be worried about Notre Dame and being the best version of yourself. And if you can be the best version of yourself, then you go play that way and let the chips fall where they may. And you get too much into hiding this and showing that, and you start getting into too many of these mind games, and guess what? Your team's not ready to play because you haven't gotten enough work at this. Or, or the flip side is you get too cute and you haven't established what your identity is because you're just on, trying to throw a bunch of stuff out there at – Ohio State to give them a lot to prepare for. Well, yeah, they got a lot to prepare for, but guess what? You haven't mastered anything. You don't have anything to hang your hat on. So there's all types of errors that can be had either way. And, you know, that's kind of where, where, where I, where I've always been in these types of situations. All right, let's get down to some more questions here. Uh, We've got one from uh, Chris Crosby says, uh, can Notre Dame's defense hold up against Ohio State's passing attack being so linebacker heavy? Don't you at least have to see if you can get pressure on them with just your front defensive line? Well, look, Christopher, we saw this defensive line and we saw this defense, this same scheme against Ohio State a year ago when they had C.J. Stroud and they held up pretty well. It doesn't mean that they're going to do the same exact thing this year. I, I don't know. Every year is different. But they held Ohio State to 6.6 yards per attempt last year. If they, I'll say this: if if the Notre Dame defense in next Saturday on September twenty third plays exactly the same exact way with the same exact results that they had last year against Ohio State, Notre Dame wins that game by ten points because I think this offense is going to be a lot better. I, I'm just telling you. So the the bigger issue for me for next week is can the Notre Dame offense score on Ohio State? That's my bigger question. The other part, man, we'll have to see how it goes, but I. I we have we act like sometimes this is a first year defense. Al Golden's not doing anything a whole lot different than he did last year. I mean, philosophically, there's schematic stuff they're doing differently, but philosophically, it's no different than what he did last year. It's just they're better at it this year than they were last year. I don't love it. I've said this before. It's not my style of defense, but 
I think sometimes we confuse not liking the style with not liking the results. And the results so far have been pretty good. You have to look at it and say, that's just who Al Golden is. And say, hey, let's keep getting better at it. I'm going to find some things here and there, but this is just who he is. And if Marcus Freeman doesn't like it, then Marcus Freeman can find a new defensive coordinator. Clearly, Marcus Freeman likes it because he kept him on board. And we'll find out if that was a smart decision or not. But I'll say again, if if the Notre Dame defense has the same exact results against Ohio State this year that they had last year, Notre Dame wins that game. Just simple as that. ND Estimate Trucking, LLC. Coach D, rank these in your preferred order. Jay-Z, Nas, DMX, and Rakim. Uh, who has a song you could you would most like to see Notre Dame come out to against Ohio State? Ooh, okay. Let me think about that one. So personally, um, I'm gonna go bottom up. It's 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 DMX at the bottom, it's Jay-Z next. It's Rakim next, and it's Nas at the top. Y'all know, big Nas guy. I think you I think you can make a case that Rakim is the best lyricist of all time. I just didn't all, like, a lot of his songs, like, man, it's some great lyrics. Like, man, this dude is just spitting straight bars at us right now. But I didn't always, like, love the beats and the sound that went with it, whereas Nas, I did. And to me, that's the difference right there, is, is that right there. Uh, Jay Z's pretty good too, especially his, his older stuff. I'm I'm just not in the I'm not, yeah. When you get into that, but the interesting thing is, DMX is probably the guy that would have the best anthem song for coming out for a football game. You know, I mean, you just think about four or five of his different songs. I mean, you'd have to edit it a little bit and bleep some stuff out, but he's the guy to me that has more of the anthem type of stuff that you'd come out to a football game for. And so that's why I'd say, even though he's at the bottom of that particular list, he's got a couple songs. Uh, like for example, like it, like it gets me hyped up every time I see it. Like if uh, I was going to do a workout or had some coming on, like, um, you know, X going to give it to you something. I mean, just the, the beat and just the whole thing. And it's just like, it gets pretty fired up. Like that to me would get me more fired up for a, you know, coming out for a game than, you know, than Ether or going back to the Illmatic days or anything he's done kind of in between. And Nas has phenomenal stuff, but I wouldn't call his stuff like stuff that you'd play, you know, coming out for a game. You know, Jay-Z's got some stuff maybe you could do. Uh, Rakim, Rakim doesn't really have that kind of stuff. That So it'd be Jay-Z's got some stuff, right? but DMX to me has more of that anthem type of stuff that you would want to come out. Um yeah, would come out too. Christopher Crosby, Tyler Van Dyke has had a very solid start to the season. Once thought by some to be a first-round talent, can he get back in that conversation if he continues to play at his current level? I have never thought that Tyler Van Dyke – I'm a big Tyler Van Dyke fan as a college quarterback. I think Tyler Van Dyke's a very good quarterback and a guy that I wanted Notre Dame to look at if he jumped in the portal last year. And I would do the same thing if he jumped in the portal next year. But I think he's more of a really good college quarterback, more so than a great NFL prospect. I don't know that I think he's got the combination of athleticism plus big arm for me uh, to be a first-round pick. A quarterback doesn't mean he won't be a first-round pick because they they overdraft guys all the time. But I'm just telling you what my, what my grade would be. But, yeah, I like what he's done so far. I think Tyler's played very well so far. Complete passes at a high level, throwing the ball down the field. He was great against Texas A&M, threw five touchdown passes in that game. Uh, so, you know, w- would, um, you know, would I call him a first round pick? I don't know, man. I'm not an NFL draft guy. I don't see first round talent, but I never saw first round talent from him. I see a guy that's got a chance to be a really good college quarterback and not every really good college quarterback is a first round pick. And that's kind of how I view Tyler Van Dyke. Tyler J. Robinson. Speaking of Tyler's. Do you think Icebox O'Shea is the greatest middle linebacker ever? So, no, because if we're talking about movie middle linebackers, with all due respect, you have to have Alvin Mack as your starting middle linebacker if you're going off movie middle linebackers. I, I just I don't know who, who else would even be in that conversation. With all due respect to Icebox O'Shea, who was a two-way player, I believe, for the Little Giants. But uh, I, I got to go with Alvin Mack, man. I, I just I got to go with Alvin Mack. That's just where I'm at. So uh, here's a question that from 99 Problems BK1. Uh, Brian, help me understand. I've always seen Riley as backyard football driven by an elite quarterback that can extend plays. Day seems to be system driven. I completely disagree with this. 
completely. If you believe that, that's fine. But for me, um, I've always felt that he's got a very good scheme. I, I just you, you break it down. His 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 uh, he does a great job of doing things to get guys in space. That's scheme related. His screen game is very creative. His his RPO screen game, where he builds it out of the run games, um, you know, is, is very creative. I, I'm not I, my issues with Lincoln Riley's head coach have everything to do with his inability to practice the right way and build the defense the right way. It's so offensive driven. But when you just talk about like X's and O's and scheme and stuff like that, uh, I think you're doing a great disservice to his ability to, to, to generate that kind of production. And I know we look at like, you know, we look at some of the quarterbacks he's had and, and I'd say he's had very different types of quarterbacks. You, you look at what he has with USC right now, USC with Caleb Williams is a much different system than what, than what uh, Oklahoma was with Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray, who were both dynamic runners. I mean, Caleb Williams threw three games this year, has 61 yards rushing. That's it. You know, last year, Caleb Williams ran the ball effectively. He had 10 touchdowns, but he had 382 yards. When he was at Oklahoma, he had back-to-back years. We had his starting quarterback had over 1,000 yards of offense. You know, I mean, I think, was it 2019 with Jalen Hurts, right? And then 2018 with Kyler Murray. I'm pretty sure they both had over 1,000 yards rushing. I'm look, pulling up the numbers now. Yeah, Jalen Hurts had 1,298 yards and 20 touchdowns in 2019. Kyler Murray had 1,000 yard, 1,001 yards and 12 touchdowns in 2018 and won the Heisman. And then in 2017, Baker Mayfield only had 311 yards. And in 2016, Baylor Mayfield only had 177 yards. That's it. So when you look at when you look at what he's done, he has been able to adapt to the skills of his quarterback. I I wouldn't call Baker Mayfield a guy that just plays backyard football when he was at Oklahoma. I, I think that very much sells short what Lincoln Riley has done. I think it sells short the things he does at USC. Yes, Caleb Williams allows you to extend plays, but that's why you're scoring 59 points a game instead of 52 points a game, which is where they're at you know right now. And and I would argue that. When you look at the success they had last year, they scored over 40 points. And let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games last year, 10 out of 14, and had 38 against Notre Dame. Yeah, the ability to extend plays was part of the success they had against Notre Dame last year. But the a, a thing that often gets overlooked is they went out and ran for 204 yards against Notre Dame last year. And it wasn't just because Caleb Williams and his all of his scrambles. He was able to buy time and make plays with his with his arm. But Notre Dame let Austin Jones run on them last year. That was the big problem because Lincoln Riley was able to get a quick early look at what Notre Dame was going to do, and he said, we're going to take advantage of that. Caleb Williams had three rushing touchdowns, but only had 35 yards rushing. Austin Jones had 154 yards rushing in that game. And so I I think Lincoln Riley, schematically, as an offensive guy, is one of the best in the business, just X's and O's and just how to design games. I just don't think he's a great head coach. That's more my big issue because I don't think he does a good enough job building the whole team together, and and that's why I think Ryan Day is a better head coach than Lincoln Riley. I think Lincoln Riley is a better offensive mind. I just I just don't know that he's a great head coach in that regard. But yeah, I I think he's a very very good offensive mind. I really do. I'm not a big fan of him personally, but I, I in that regard I think he he is. Uh, Christopher Crosby, UCLA comes to the Big Ten and brings Dante Moore with them. Given how much playtime he's going to get this season, does he show up as one of the top three quarterbacks in the conference? I think so. Do you? Well, again, it's kind of like some of the earlier questions we've had today, guys. We we need to let this play out a little bit, right? Like, we need to let these guys play a few more games. Right now, Dante Moore threw for 143 yards against Coastal Carolina and 290 yards against San Diego State. And this week, he plays NC Central. Let's see what he does when they go to Utah in two weeks. Let's see, or next week. Let's see what he does in two weeks after that when they go, actually be three weeks after that because they have a bye. When he goes to Oregon State, when they play at USC. So let's just kind of let Dante develop a little bit before we get there. But uh, look, you have to think that USC is going to get some kind of transfer quarterback next year if Lincoln Riley's still in college. You look at Ohio State, they're going to have a returning starter next year. Maybe J.J. McCarthy's coming back. Drew Aller's definitely going to be back. So when you look at the Big Ten, I mean, the Big Ten's going to have, I think, uh, pretty good quarterback play next year. 
can Dante be in that top three? He can be. Yes, sure, of course. But what if J.J. McCarthy and Drew Aller are all back next year? Kyle McCord's back next year. You know, is it a given? And then USC is going to have a guy next year. Uh, Oregon's going to have probably a pretty talented quarterback next year. Who's Washington's quarterback going to be next year? Do they get a transfer quarterback? So there's just so much we have to see. But would I be shocked if when it's all said and done, Dante Moore's one of the three best quarterbacks in the Big Ten next year? No, I wouldn't. But we got to see him play more than one and a half games before I'm ready to go there. Got a comment from Pete Griff. Thank you for this, Pete. He says, longtime listener here. Brian, since I starting IB, what areas have grown? Have you grown the most in and where are you still improving? Writing, planning, production, love the show. Keep up the good work. Well, it's, I don't know that I'd say it's really necessarily in those things. I, I think obviously the production part, we have to do a lot more of that. It's something, something I never had never done before. I'd like to expand the staff so I don't have to be the one doing that stuff uh, down the road. But I think it's more about just how how engaged with people. I think it's something that's changed. There's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to really get into them, but it's how I interact with people. I'll still lay some smackdowns on people from time to time, but not like I used to. So I, I think that's a big part of it is just how I engage with people. But look, to answer the question more broadly, Pete, the minute that I say in any of those areas that I'm not going to improve in any of those areas anymore is, is when it's like, okay, now you're going to get passed up. You're going to get stale. People are going to pass you up. You're not going to be what you are. You're not going to grow. And so I would hope that we're always getting better. And if anybody on my staff thinks that they've arrived and they've got it all figured out and they've got all the answers, that's probably when we have a conversation about, okay, you might want to find somewhere else to work because we're always going to look to be better. We're always going to look to do things better and differently and nuance and hey it's going good now but can we make it better and if i got people around me that don't have that mentality then i'm gonna have to find new people to put around me honestly and and if i'm not doing that then the people working for me need to be able to step up and challenge me and say hey man we're just doing the same stuff over and over and over again and we're we're you know look at our numbers we're not growing we're not doing this we're not doing that so i would say pete it may seem very cliche but it's also very true i'm gonna always we should always be growing and always getting better and always changing and always adapting. And that's to me, what I think makes us the best. And that's, what's going to continue to make us the best and, you know, striving different ways to reach people. And now you see a lot of other people, you know, falling in line and starting to do some of the things that we're doing. And, and if we just sit here and, and just take it easy and say, ah, we're, you know, we're, we're good to go. Then those people that are now jumping in the spheres that we're involved in, they're going to eventually catch us and pass us and, and then we're going to be like, wow, what, what happened to our audience? So we're always going to try to be getting better on stuff. And sometimes we're limited from a technological standpoint, a staff standpoint, things like that. But that that's where I focus so much on grow, 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 grow. So I can then go hire the people needed to continue to change those type of things and add those type of things and, and take on certain responsibilities so that we can then grow in other areas. And that's always something we're going to be doing. Domer Gris has a two-parter. Happy Friday, Brian. Glad to hear your mom is doing better. Thank you for that very much. Thank you and your work this week, despite the hard moments. And part two, thank you for that, Domer Chris. Part two, if the starting guards underwhelm this week, but Shrouth balls out, would you make a change next week? And do you think the coaching staff would? I would. I don't think the coaching staff will. I, I, I just, I don't have a lot of faith right now that they're going to be willing to make that change unless something really bad happens. I, uh, I just I, I just assume in the default that most coaches are still too results driven and not process driven enough. And so they're just going to look at we did this number of yards and how can we make a change right before Ohio State? If you're going to make a change, this change should have happened for this game. You don't you don't do that to Billy Shrouth. You don't you say, hey, we're going to make a change and you throw them in there against Ohio State. I just I think that would be a mistake. You know, maybe after Ohio State, if if Pat Coogan doesn't do well, but I think they're past that window. I I just get the impression from Coach Rudolph and and this staff that this is just the offensive line they're going to roll with, barring injury. And you know, that's just kind of where we're at. I don't I don't agree with it. I don't like it. I think it limits the offense because look, guys. I mean, if you can't watch the last two games and see the athletic limitations that have kind of peaked their heads a little bit at left guard and not project how that might be problematic against Ohio State and against Duke and against USC and against Clemson because you rushed for X number of yards, you had X number of points or X number of whatever, then I just, again, I I, I just 
I think that's a little short-sighted. And if this if this staff doesn't see that, then that it's a little bit problematic for me. But yeah, I'm I just not sure that um, I'm not sure that they're going to see a change. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But as of right now, I just I don't see it. Next question from Rob Osgood. Uh, Rob says, have, have any recruits said anything about the new offense, or should I say uh, the way it's being run now? That would be a question for Ryan. And, um, you know, that'll be something that I'll ask him. Might be a good story to write here Move pretty soon. Ken Pluto with a, a question. How would you rate Parker as an OC versus what you expected Ludwig to have been if he was hired? Honestly, I think the offense has looked a lot like what it would have looked like with Andy Ludwig. You know, a lot of 12 personnel. Uh, running the football effectively, play-action game, a lot of play-action game. If you look at the breakdown that's on the Notre Dame message board, and let me go find it here real quick. Let's see here. I'm going to try to find this uh, statistical breakdown because I have to find it on the board because I don't have my computer that I broke the stats down on, so just give me give me one second here real quick. I think one of the things, the point I'm going to get to as soon as I can find this, this uh, sheet is the play action game has been very impactful for Notre Dame so far. And we've seen it really in multiple games. So if you look at Sam Hartman against uh, NC State play action, he was three of four for 53 yards and two touchdowns on just straight pocket play action. But they also ran five bootlegs, uh, which are action passes, but just, you know, play action is just you make an action, you stay in the backfield, bootlegs, sprint out, they did. So if you look at if you count bootleg on top of the action passes, they went six of nine on on some type of play action pass for 102 yards and three touchdowns, and they had a drop in in that as well. So to me, I think that's been a part of what they've done that that I expected Andy Ludwig to bring a lot too. That's one of the things I really like about Andy Ludwig was was that that part of the action. And if you look at on the season, Notre Dame so far is nine of fourteen on on action passes so far for 172 yards and five touchdowns in three games that's something i really liked a lot about andy love his play action game is really good so far jared parker has been able to get a lot of production from the play action pass game and that's obviously something that that um has been encouraging now there's some other things i'd like to see them get better at but that and, that, and we'll find that out over the next nine games but every offense is evolving. But so far, I mean, I really like what I see from him so far. And I don't, I don't know that I would have – I don't know that Andy Lovewood could have done any better than what we've seen so far. Now, the question is going to be, look, and here's where we're at, right? Like, I have really enjoyed what Jared Parker's done so far. And even though sometimes my gut wasn't to love it, then you break the film down and you're like, man, it really makes a lot of sense and I really dig that. And that's kind of how I feel about Andy Lovick sometimes. I'm like, man, I didn't, I didn't love that game plan. And then you break the film down. You're like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing now. I, that, that's, that's really good. And it worked. But what Jared Parker is going to be graded on ultimately is what does he do in two, you know, next week against Ohio State? What does he do against Duke? What does he do against USC? What does he do against Clemson? And, and those type of situations. So we haven't gotten to that part yet. Until we get that part of the season, it's still a, hey, I'm optimistic of what I've seen so far. But – Let's kind of see what they do next. That's going to be really the big key is kind of what they do next. All right, let's get to some more here. Really good questions here today, everybody. Mark Avalone, do you think there are too many defensive penalties that come with an automatic first down? That's a good question, Mark. I, I, it'll, I'll prop, hmm. I might not be the best person to answer that one because I'm an offensive guy and the way I look at it is a lot of those penalties that come with automatic first downs are things that by doing so you're preventing us from making a play. So for example, defensive holding, well, it's only a five yard penalty. It's an automatic first down. So to me is like, if, if, if it's second and 10 and your corner gets beat, why in the heck would he not just yank the guy? Because that's a five yard penalty but it's still second down or if it's third and 10, well, you know, this actually might be a better example If it's third and 10 and you beat me off the line. And I'm like, Oh shoot, I don't have any help. And this guy's beating me off the line. I'm going to yank you because I'm not going to get the pass interference. I'm going to do it right away. I'm going to yank you back to me. 
because it's a five yard penalty. But as long as you know they don't complete a pass somewhere else, if I force an incompletion, yeah, it's a five yard penalty. But now it's third and five instead of first and ten. That's advantage defense. It gives them incentive to commit that penalty in certain situations. So I, I like the automatic first down. I uh, honestly, a lot of penalties I don't necessarily have huge problems with whether the first downs or not. I, I I think some of the penalties that like illegal hands to the face, I believe is one that comes with an automatic first down. I don't think that should be the case. Let me, let me look up what the actually the penalty is for that. Let me, hold on a second. Hands to the face. Yeah. It's a five yard penalty with an automatic first down. That's one that I would, I think you could argue. I'm good with the five yard penalty. I'm not good with it being an automatic first down because I don't think that necessarily impacts the the outcome of the play. What the penalties that I think should be automatic first downs are, are plays that you could argue by doing this penalty, you have impacted the ability of the offense to achieve the success needed to 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 move the chains, right? So pass interference, defensive holding, personal foul. Uh, so it, it's that should be the the base penalties that result in first downs. The other penalties that result in first downs are obviously, you know, personal foul, like, you know, things like that. Those should all obviously be first downs. But like uh hands of the face, no, nah, that shouldn't be an automatic first down. So something like that that's not necessarily uh, something that impacts the play. So like the the penalty they called on Riley Mills on the illegal hands of the face. Like, first of all, I don't think it should have been called, number one. Number two, it's like that should not have been an automatic first down to me. Uh, if I remember the circumstances of that situation correctly, the down a distance, but I, I don't think so. And I, I'll say this, another penalty that needs to get changed. is an offensive one. I think offensive pass interference is way too strict of a penalty. It's like 15 yards. They treat that like a personal foul. Now I understand that, you know, Hey, it puts you in a, a, a tough situation, but man, I, that one, I did not like that one at all. 